Hello, you are listening to the Nourish Gut Podcast. This space is for the woman who is suffering from digestive issues like IBS and SIBO. I am your host, Carly Raven. I am a naturopath, clinical nutritionist, gut health expert, and mother. My mission is to help educate you about IBS and SIBO and take you on a journey to resolving your digestive issues. I will have real conversations and give you solutions that I know actually work. So if you're ready to be bloat-free, poo better, have more energy and become free from the fear of food, then you are in the right place. Hello and welcome back to another episode on the Nourish Gut Podcast. Today we are going to be talking about and examining the long-term effects of food poisoning and infections on conditions such as SIBO and IBS. I'm really excited because I think that this is going to bring you some new information uh, regarding one of the underlying causes of SIBO and IBS, but I do encourage you to kind of hang with me today because some of the things that we're going to be discussing aren't super straightforward um, and there's going to be some words which you've probably never heard before, (laughs) Um, but I promise by the end it will all make sense um, and I will break it down Uh, as easily as possible as I can for you. So it's really hard to miss the symptoms um, and to know if you have food poisoning or not because it gives pretty epic symptoms, right? So stomach cramps, vomiting and diarrhea. um, And you really, most of the time, you know if you have it. Sometimes it can be a little bit hard to know whether it was the food that you ate that's making you feel really sick or if it's kind of like, Um, gastroenteritis for example which is more derived from a virus or an infection however um, what we do know and what you may not know is that having food poisoning today can actually lead to you having SIBO or IBS tomorrow and that's what we're going to be exploring today so before we jump in let me just recap a couple of things for you so IBS is a condition reported to affect around 10 to 15% of the population. And it's a chronic, functional, and sometimes debilitating disorder of the GI tract and can impact dramatically the quality of life. There are different categories of IBS. So there's IBSD, which is diarrhea dominant, IBSC, which is constipation dominant, IBSM, which is mixed diarrhea and constipation, and um, IBSA is kind of that constant alternating of diarrhea and constipation. And then we have SIBO, which we've talked a lot about on this podcast. So please go back and listen to my other episodes all about SIBO because I dive really deep into this. But SIBO is an overgrowth of bacteria, specifically located in the small intestinal area versus the large colon, the large intestine. And it's normal to see bacteria and an abundance of bacteria in the large intestine, but we don't want to see that in a small bowel. So we kind of see that crossover um, of bacteria, but also archaea, which are derived from methane, um, and would mean that you have intestinal methanogen overgrowth in the small bowel. Um, And they're all things that we don't want to be seeing. And essentially with SIBO, which is different to IBS, you're producing gases via ferment the process of fermentation and it's those gases that the bacteria are producing that are causing 
the symptoms. Okay. Now, um, SIBO can be a cause of IBS, and a large portion of people with IBS actually have SIBO. There's a really big crossover there. Okay. And you may have true IBS, but you may also have SIBO. So if you have IBS, the very first thing I want to say to you today is go and do a SIBO breath test. We offer this via our website. I'll pop the show, um, the, the link to where you can order a breath test directly through us to eliminate whether you have, you know, to actually figure out whether you have IBS or true um, SIBO because the treatment is going to be very, very different. It's the very first thing that you need to know. If you've ever been diagnosed with IBS, you must investigate SIBO, okay? So um, IBS often has no known cause. However, there is an association between the development of IBS symptoms such as gastrointestinal inflammation, inflammatory bowel disease, food poisoning, genetic factors, and SIBO. Um, and the most common cause of IBS is actually food poisoning, which is really interesting. The risk factors associated with developing IBS from food poisoning include the severity of the food poisoning, if you're female or not, if you required antibiotics to treat that food poisoning, if you were sick for more than seven days, and also were there any psychological factors such as anxiety they may have already been existing. And the hard part about all of this is that some people don't even recall uh, a food poisoning episode or when they have it, they just go, oh, I've got food poisoning. I'll be sick for a week or a couple of days. I'll get over it and then life will move on. And they don't really, unless they get really, really, really sick and some there are a portion of people that end up in hospital for things like this, you probably wouldn't think too much about it. Like it's a normal thing. Like I always hear, oh yeah, I've got food poisoning and, or, you know, I've had gastro or I went to Bali and I had traveler's diarrhea and, but I'm better now. Everything's all good. So what we can actually talk about today is the long-term effects of this and why this could mean that you have developed SIBO or IBS from that single exposure and incident Okay. Often though, you know, not recalling it can make it really tricky. So I really encourage you to sit down and think about like, is this something that you have ever been exposed to? Can you vividly remember having food poisoning or traveler's diarrhea or really bad gastro? Because Knowing that and giving that information to your healthcare pr practitioner is really, really important because if I didn't know that as a practitioner, I would like, it'd be harder for me to know whether this was an issue for the patient sitting in front of me, okay? And after you listen to this, if it happens in the future, you're going to become more educated and aware and know that, okay, well, I might need to take some pretty quick action here and seek naturopathic and nutritional support post these types of things to minimize the risk of having and getting IBS and SIBO after it. Okay. Um, so post-infectious IBS is a form of IBS that is caused by food poisoning. And we've kind of already talked a little bit about that. 
And the part that we haven't talked about is that it can actually call, include autoimmunity. Um, so what we're going to talk about is I'm going to break this down for you, okay? I'm going to talk you through how food poisoning can cause IBS and SIBO. And it's a little complicated, all right? But hang in there because hopefully it all makes sense to you. And don't get caught up with the big words and the explanation um, because we'll be able to put those puzzle pieces together. Before we jump into all of that, I just wanted to also quickly touch on um, the most common bacteria that cause food poisoning are things like Shigella, Campylobacteria, Salmonella, E. coli. And if you get sick and you have, like, you come down with, like, the symptoms that we mentioned before, please go and get tested, okay? And you can just go to your GP, um, and especially if these symptoms are prolonged, and you can get a stool test, just a fecal occult parasite. You know, they will do this for you um, through a GP. We can also order it for patients um, at our clinic and they will screen for these um, uh, bacteria to know whether they are present during and after um, being exposed. Now, all of these bacteria release a toxin, okay, and it is called CDTB, and it goes into your body. So these food poisoning bacteria make what's called cytolethal distending toxin, CDBT, okay? And what this name implies is that CD CTD, sorry, can lead to cell death. All right, and that sounds really scary. <laughs> and I'm not trying to scare you here, but it literally just means that there are certain cells that are dying as a part of this process from the food poisoning and the bacteria. So therefore, to fight the food poisoning, your body makes antibodies against this, okay? The unfortunate thing here is that CDT has a very similar shape. And what I mean by this, and I know I'm getting technical, but I have to go here today. Right? I don't normally talk this technical because I try to keep it really, you know, easy to understand. But I want to use these words and I want to explain it properly to you guys. So what I mean by the similar shape is aka molecular mimicry to a human protein called veniculin. And sometimes what happens is that your immune system gets confused. It makes antibodies to your own protein veniculin in addition to the bacterial protein CDT. And this is what is resulting in autoimmunity within your own gut. And so you might be sitting there thinking, okay, well, this all sounds a bit scary and a bit full on and you're using really big words. So, you know, what's dangerous about this and what does this all mean? So vinkiculin is important because it regulates the interstitial cells of Kyagle. 
so ICC in, in, in abbreviated. And this in turn regulates the migrating motor complex, which I refer to as the MMC. And so therefore what's happening is that when the body attacks bin, 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 I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm even stumbling across my own words, saying too many of them, viniculin, it indirectly shuts off the migrating motor complex. So let's go on a little bit of a crash course now and look at the migrating motor complex. So this is the housekeeper of the digestive system. All right. One of my favorite actual mechanisms that occurs within the bowel. Right. And it sweeps food and opportunistic bacteria from the small intestine into the colon. I like to kind of describe it as this little motor that sits in the bowel and just flushes it out and kind of keeps things moving and cleans it all out and this is a good thing this is what we want and while it's okay as I was mentioning to you guys earlier when I was talking about SIBO and what it is it's okay for the large intestine to house you know 10 billion 10 trillion different microbes the small intestine should only have a thousand to a million and one of the biggest causes of this overgrowth is when this migrating motor complex, the good old housekeeper, isn't sweeping and we're getting a buildup of food and fermentation and opportunistic bacteria in the small intestinal colon area. Okay, I'm hoping that this is all starting to like make sense and we're getting a few penny drops now. All right, I just want to summarize it for you. So in summary, a nasty side effect of food poisoning is autoimmunity that shuts off the migrating motor complex due to all of those complicated things that we were talking about earlier. And when the migrating motor complex stop working, we get a buildup of food and bacteria in the small intestine. Those bacteria eat up the extra food and they reproduce like crazy, resulting in bacterial overgrowth of the small intestine. In other words, food poisoning can cause SIBO. Hello, this is just a quick break from today's episode to chat to you about how we would love to help you with your IBS, SIBO or gut health issues. Are you currently struggling to find relief from the daily struggles of IBS or SIBO? We would love to help your journey and we're here to offer a guiding hand. Through the Nourish Gut program, we have created a transformative experience tailored for people who navigate busy lives filled with demanding responsibilities. If you've been grappling with frequent bloating, abdominal pain, irregular bowel movements and food sensitivities, finding lasting relief might seem like an overwhelming feat. We understand the frustration and confusion that can come along with managing your gut health amidst the complexities of your daily life. But fret not, as you don't have to face this journey alone, our program is designed to empower you with evidence-based recommendations and personalized guidance allowing you to overcome your symptoms and regain control of your health without resorting to lifelong restrictive diets. Imagine a life where you can enjoy food without the fear, free from debilitating effects of digestive discomfort. Picture yourself revitalized, full of energy and ready to embrace life's opportunity with a restored zest for life. With a minimum three-month commitment, the Nourish Gut program offers a high level of support, including one-on-one appointments, one-on-one -on -one messaging, weekly group calls, and detailed reviews of your progress weekly. 
We really, really are passionate about the support that you get through our program. And additional to that, our exclusive online portal is brimming with videos and resources, providing you with all of the tools that you need to accelerate your progress. Our team of highly trained naturopaths and nutritionists, all specializing in IBS and SIBO, is dedicated to guiding you through the complexities of your digestive health issues. Join a supportive community of like-minded individuals who share your struggles and aspirations for long-term solutions that extend beyond restrictive diets. Your health journey is worth investing in and we're here to be your compassionate partners every step of the way. To find the link to the Nourish Gut program, just visit the show notes for this episode, complete the inquiry form to become one of our clients and receive a special offer on the program. I would love to welcome you. Now, let's have a look at, let's discuss a few stats here because you may be thinking, okay, cool, well, how likely is it for me to actually have been affected by what you're talking about, Carly? Well, anyone can develop post-infectious IBS, right? The some stats uh, show that 16 million episodes of food poisoning occur in Australia every year. And according to a review conducted by the Mayo Clinic of over 40 research studies, 11% of people with food poisoning, so that works out to be about one in nine people, will develop IBS. And so I did a bit of maths before I jumped on here and I was kind of like trying to like convert these stats into like, you know, easy to digest information. And so basically what that means is that 176,000 people can develop post-infectious IBS this year in Australia. Okay, that's the stats. That's what it's converting into. And so this basically makes food poisoning the leading known cause of IBS. And patients with post-infectious IBS are actually four times more likely to then contract food poisoning again. And additionally, if you do get food poisoning again, it can significantly worsen the symptoms of the post-infectious IBS that you're already experiencing or the SIBO that you're already experiencing. So... It's very interesting stuff, okay? And like so many people are, you know, IBS is one of the top diagnosed conditions worldwide. So this is a big deal and something that we all should be educated about because when we do get sick, we should be doing something about it. And if we haven't in the past, then it paints a picture And it draws a timeline of like, or it can be an explanation for you as to why you've ended up with chronic debilitating daily gut issues. All right. So how do you know if you have post-infectious IBS? So it generally presents itself as IBSD or IBSM. So that is mixed uh, like diarrhea and constipation or just diarrhea IBS. Okay, so the primary symptom is diarrhea and you will know like during an active exposure or when you're suffering from this in the moment, you're going to have lots of diarrhea and potentially even vomiting and that may not fully resolve. So you may think, oh, damn, like you might be sitting here right now going, damn, I suffer from diarrhea and that has occurred ever since about of 
being overseas, getting viral gastroenteritis, or food poisoning. Bingo! You're working out how this all started and one of the major underlying causes. But you also would probably have things like abdominal pain and bloating and you wouldn't have any other major kind of serious symptoms like blood in the stool. And you will have had to have had food poisoning at some point in your past, okay? Now, in terms of testing for this, there is a um, test that's been developed to detect if the IBS is caused from these, you know, antibodies and processes that are occurring. But unfortunately, it's only available in the US. This blood test does measure for the presence of two antibodies found um, when the patient is experiencing food poisoning. And if the, the test is actually positive for these antibodies, there is a 98% correlation that IBS is in question due to the food poisoning. But unfortunately, we don't have access to that here. Um, so we tend to do really good case taking um, and questioning um, and rule out all other causes as well. The good news is that, though, that these antibodies will diminish over time, okay? But what you need to do is to try and prevent getting food poisoning again. And if you have IBS or SIBO, you're approximately, you know, 2.9 times at greater risk of getting food poisoning than someone without any pre-existing IBS and SIBO. So if you're someone who already has this, you're more prone and likely to get it, okay? Now... If you have SIBO, this does need to be addressed with either prescription or natural antimicrobials and treatment as part of the treatment process as well. So that this is definitely something to be considering, you know. Um, yes, you want to make sure that you're preventing it. If you have it, you want to be actively doing things after it. But if you have IBS and SIBO, you need to get to the bottom of that, right? Like treating the SIBO and the IBS is also going to reduce your risk of this happening. So this could technically be a reason that you might relapse, for example. SIBO is a high relapsing condition, but, you know, it's going to be dramatically, your relapse rate will be dramatically reduced post-treatment because you're going to be less likely to have something like this, which might trigger a relapse, for example. And this is just one of the many, there are, you know, many reasons why someone might relapse with their SIBO. So you really want to know what the cause is for your SIBO and knowing this information is also essential for proper treatment. All right. So, you know, if you're working with a practitioner and you haven't kind of discussed all of this information, then I highly recommend bringing it up and talking about it. And, you know, if you're still particularly suffering from diarrhea, then it would be something to really consider and look into. So at our clinic, in terms of what we do, is we really focus on treating post-infectious IBS and SIBO. So it really depends on, you know, is it an active case? Have they just gotten sick? We look at educating our patients about how they can reduce um, the, the likelihood of that happening. And we also intervene with things like diet changes, probiotics, complete SIBO treatment from start to finish, which is highly involved and complex and individualized on the patient. And we also assess the microbiome and use individualized treatment plans based off this additional information because often it's not just the food poisoning or 
the SIBO or the IBS that's going on. There's numerous, numerous things that are going on. And I really believe in, um, the, I, I believe the reason we get such great outcomes with our patients is because we really look at that individual. We really take time to get to know their past history and their what we call their health timeline. And this paints a picture of what's going on for them. Plus looking at functional testing. So SIBO breath testing, microbiome testing, and we put together a plan based off that. So if you would like support after about a bout of food poisoning or infection, please reach out to us, especially in your kiddos, yeah, because it's common for kids to get sick, um, and, and especially even these tummy things. And if they're getting exposed to that early in life, plus needing multiple rounds of antibiotics for something like an ear infection or tonsillitis and they're just on this roller coaster of things that are you know affecting their gut this is definitely going to increase their risk of then having a condition like SIBO later in life. SIBO is more rare in children but it's not when you've got a child who has been exposed to all of these things in a really rapid quick time frame you know within the first five to ten years of life if they've had multiple risk factors they could have SIBO and this is things that we assess in our clinic we treat children um, at the nourish gut clinic and um, we do test for SIBO in children it's just less common what we what we want to see is that they've got the proper risk factors we don't just go and test every single child for SIBO because the the research on that suggests that it's just not common However, adults, it's really common, but we want to be doing all of the stuff in childhood to be preventing an adult from getting all of this stuff as well. So this applies to children, teenagers, adults across the lifespan. And so does the way that we treat. Okay. We just make it applicable to the age with the dosages and all of that. All right, so hopefully that was super informative. For a lot of you, I know it will be new information. If you want to order a SIBO breath test, please follow the link in the show notes. Um, We are currently taking on patients at the Nourish Gut Clinic, so please get in contact with us. Uh, We love treating people of all ages, from children right through um, to adults suffering from IBS, SIBO, IBD, you name it, celiac disease chronic infections yeah or even if it's just constipation and diarrhea in a kid you know we've even got some really complex cases at the moment with um you know things like cystic fibrosis in kids um with really poor gut health and stuff like that so you know if you're unsure send us an email um and we can uh yeah let you know the next steps so that is all from me today really awesome episode i've loved chatting about it Um, If you have any questions, please get in contact. Um, Otherwise, please like, rate and subscribe to the podcast so that I can keep bringing you more amazing episodes like this. Um, And if you know somebody who might benefit from listening to this episode, I really encourage you to share that with them so that this information that I'm sharing can be spread further and further. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you on the next episode. Bye. Did you like what you heard? Leave us a review. 
If you'd like to learn more about my Nourish Gut program or the Nourish Gut Kids membership, head over to my website. Would you like to be a part of a community that gets it? Join our Facebook group, Nourish Gut Community, or come and follow me over on Instagram. All of these links can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time on the Nourish Gut Podcast.